There's this thing that I love about Hollywood, which is there's a million ways to do it. You can be almost any type of personality, no matter whether you're like a rough and tough guy, so you're building sets, or you're more of like a studio cat like me, came up from music, so you're comfortable in here, or you're an outgoing actress, or you've got a vision for what a set should look like. That's the beautiful thing I think about Hollywood, and I, I don't think it gets enough credit, but there's a place for everyone. I just came out scrappy, young, and said, I'll find a way to do it, and I've done it. That was sound editor and studio owner Matthew Bob, and this is So You Work in Entertainment. My name's Adam Klaus, and I've been a full-time voice actor for the last eight years. I didn't really know that you could do that until I was already doing it, which made me realize that there are thousands of jobs in the entertainment industry that most people don't know about. This is the podcast where I talk to the people who do those jobs. And right now, I take you to my conversation with Matthew Bob. We're in your beautiful studio right now. I oh. usually say thanks for coming in, but I came to you. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, Th thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So you work in entertainment? I do. Yeah, sort of. It's like sort of a side door into entertainment. I'm on the uh, marketing side of things mostly. So what I do is I do post-production audio. Okay. And my gig now is we do a lot of theatrical marketing content for the big studios. Okay. So we're the team that is behind the scenes on set. So the call will go out, hey, we're having a shoot here, there, anywhere across the world. And we'll put together a production team to go on set, shoot the action that's happening behind the scenes and do interviews with the cast and crew, directors, producers, all that. And then that footage comes back in here and we edit all the marketing content around the production. So it's kind of like the how it's made behind the scenes thing. That's what your team covers when they're shooting a movie? Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. BTS content, historically, it was divided into two worlds. There was the theatrical marketing side, which was everything that happened before the movie was released. And then after that was called home entertainment. So anything that usually got pushed to the DVD, kind of longer form content, whether that's documentaries about how the film was made. Kind of the most, the first big thing that happened in popular culture with this was the Lord of the Rings discs, which was actually kind of how I got sucked into this world. I remember when the Lord of the Rings DVDs came out and I was just a mega fan. I didn't know anything about Tolkien or whatever. I didn't grow up in like with like fantasy books or anything like that, but was completely drawn in by the movies that was sort of a, a big change for me okay and when the dvds came out there was bonus content out the wazoo i mean there was you know here's how we did this on set here's all the set decoration here's the sound and the mixing and you know, all the things that sort of tickled my fancy and sure. everything else and so i was sort of enamored by that whole behind the scenes process and that was my first kind of look into hey how's this stuff done because you were doing sound before that, right? Well, Lord of the Rings came out when I was in college. So okay. I was uh, studying music at the time. That was kind of first love, first passion. And you will find most sound people in movies, TV, wherever. They get their in through music. Sure. Yeah. What instrument did you play? Uh, I played guitar. I was in a band in high school, played guitar, did vocals. Yeah. And you went to school for music, right? I did, yeah. So how did sound start from music? Because you toured in a band too, right? I was in a band in high school. We were like regionally successful, okay. you know? So it's like we, we had our, like our little moment. It was a ska punk band. It was the late 90s. There I were love this. There were questionable haircuts. Oh my God. <laughs> I need to see these photos. Uh, I've banned them from the internet. Much like Barbara Streisand has banned that picture of her house. I've, well, <laughs> I've wiped all evidence. We're going to Streisand effect your haircut photos from the early 90s. <laughs> it's a lot of spiked hair. There's a lot of dyed tips, you sure. know, those fringes. You got to yeah. frost those babies. Yep. Frost it up. Mm-hmm. 
I actually, can we just pivot and talk about your time in the Scott Band? Sure. Yeah, we can do it. (laughs) (laughs) So where do you break off from the getting that behind the scenes content? Because initially when you said behind the scenes stuff, I thought like, oh, like DVD extras. That was the first thought that came to mind. Yeah. But then I thought, I don't remember last time I bought a DVD. Yeah. So that, as I was saying, when it started, you had kind of your two buckets. You had your theatrical marketing before the movie came out and then the home entertainment afterwards. Of course, in the last 20 years, that's all just melded together. Sure. The timelines have all shrunken down. Everything, it's pieces, but you know, what might be seen as like, oh, we'll use this before the film comes out. That might be pushed afterwards. And what's afterwards, maybe we use that before. The streaming windows are so short now Mm -hmm. um, that everything is just sort of in kind of one big bucket. But what I love about it now, especially with, with some of the latest work that we've been doing, is the content is getting out there a lot quicker. Sure. It's also more accessible. So, for instance, we just wrapped our huge campaign for the Batman. Okay. You know, we had a team embedded starting in December of 2019. Okay. We had a team in London. And then, of course, all hell broke loose in March of 2020 and the world stopped and we called everybody back and had to like reassess that whole shoot shut down for six months. But once it picked up and we had a team back there, the content was great. You know, what we were shooting was great. So the fact that there was just a a real big production let us kind of like stretch our creative wings. We made a one hour documentary for the Blu-ray. Okay. And then a lot of our content pieces got to go up online. They were released the same time as the film was released up on HBO Max. Oh, okay. So you'll get to see the same content. Like if you like the film, boom, right there, there's all the extra content. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's almost like the DVD extras are just now in the streaming, like embedded in the streaming. They're starting to, yeah. It, it took a while to get there, but the shift sort of happened late last year where it's like, give them what they want, you know, let them Yeah, why did that take so long? I don't know because... No one's going to go back. There were a few films of ours that went up online in the last couple years, and the bonus content didn't go up right away. And it's like, well, nobody's going to dig back in just yeah. to you know see them. It's kind of like an in the moment sort of thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You got to catch them at the right time. Yeah. So how does that make you feel? You put a lot of work into that. And then, <laughs> right? I mean, is there an element of that? Of like, what are you, you're not going to use my stuff? Yeah. Yeah, there is some of that. But- you know, you just have to get used to that side of the business. I'm not working on the film. Sure. Um, so I'm marketing for the film. So you just have to under- understand that's a rung sort of down and you have to get a, kind of get comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not actually going on film and shooting this, right? That's a team that you hire? Yes. And that mostly stems from, I don't have, I don't have the patience to be on set. Okay. That was something I learned pretty early. You know, I came out here pretty green and not a ton of direction. Didn't really know. I'm not one of these people where it's like, I've... Since I was six, I knew I wanted to mix film. Well, sure. not really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I envy mean, those people. I do too. Yeah. yeah I, and I, I feel like, you know, there's even a little part of me that's like, well, what is my story? You know, you, you see people where they found their thing early and it stuck and it, they were able to connect the dots all the way through. It's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, it makes for a great little character arc too. I blew in the wind for a little bit. Didn't really know. But I knew within, let's say, the first two hours of being on set, and holding a boom mic, that that was not something I ever wanted to do again. That's a good feeling. I mean, it's probably not in the moment, but it's nice to know you don't have to keep running down that path. Yeah, well, you know, when it's, let's say a Monday morning at 7.30 a.m. and you've been in a Wendy's parking lot since 5.30. Yeah. Waiting. Yeah. You know, just that's when you know, okay, this aspect of the business is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Most scenarios when you're in a Wendy's parking lot at 5.30 in the morning are not great. Never good. Yeah. Never good. Yeah. <laughs> Heard a lot of stories that start that way. They never end well. 
This is so interesting because you don't even think about people. I feel no offense, but I feel like people already don't think about sound. Yeah. And so then this is behind the scenes and doing the sound and all of that stuff. This is like another, this is the stuff that I live for. This is another level of the podcast, you know, it's like it's another real, layer. We're going deep. Yes. Yeah. That's what I love. How many people are typically on set? Like for the Batman, how big is that team that's filming the behind the scenes stuff? Oh, the behind the scenes crew themselves? That depends. I mean, they're on a film that big with, with a budget that can support it. You'll have a producer, you'll have a shooter or two. And if you're lucky, a dedicated sound guy. Who, okay. can, who can keep up. If not, if budget doesn't allow, then the shooters kind of have to pull double duty. And that's where then the grunt work comes in for me because there's a lot of cleanup and things get messy. You know, we'll have to like really sort of dig in and clean stuff up and rescue the interviews. And because every, everything happens off the cuff, you have to capture it in the moment. Sure. It's not going to happen again. Yeah. You know, that like little reaction you got from the director or whatever, that's never going to happen again. So it's got to be good. It's got to work. Yeah. They don't do take twos and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Can you give me an example of audio that would be dirty and what you would do to clean it? Like what's a typical thing you'd see with an interview? Yeah. I mean, it's typical for us to, you know, because things are happening on set, they're happening so fast. And of course our camera crews and our sound crews can only get so close to the action. So it's super typical for stuff to be overly noisy with the generators running in the back or for, you know, the microphones to be too far away. This is something almost no part of the public understands. Microphones don't zoom. Sure. There, there's no zoom like a camera. You can't have a microphone any farther than, let's say, about 18 inches away from someone's face before it just sounds like you're across the hall. Sure. Right? So the microphone has to be up on them to capture that. So if not, you've got to like dig into your bag of tricks. I mean, luckily, I mean, the software in the last 10 years, it's just gotten ridiculous. It is pretty what, incredible. What you can, yeah, it's yeah. nuts now. And that's also been a little trick of the trade. You know, I don't always, I don't want to let like directors and editors know like just how, <laughs> because there's a part of me that feels like maybe it'll breed a little bit of laziness, more of the, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, mentality, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? The software is good enough where it's almost like Photoshop for audio, yeah. right? So you can run it in, you can see the the visual on the spectrum and you can, st hey, there's like a little something up in the high frequencies. Let's take that out, that, you know, that little squeal, that little squeak from that. You can take out the little squeal, just that. Yep. Just, there's an air conditioner hum down low. Well, we can just isolate that and get rid of that. Yeah. There is even now de-reverb, which depending on the source can bring the voice a little bit closer, okay. right? It's not gonna like completely take out the sound of whatever space you're in. So you're saying we can zoom a microphone? Well, what I'm saying is the technology is <laughs> getting better every day. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. You yeah. give someone an inch, they're taking a mile. I find it so fascinating that if they had all the content from behind the scenes when streaming, when that was taking off, why wouldn't you include all of that in there? Especially if you're the streamer, I think the hard thing for them is retaining people, right? Yeah. You might sign up and you like that show, but then you're going to leave once that show is not airing anymore. If you can give people more of what they want, why wouldn't you just... They're getting it now. There's certainly been a shift. I mean, for us, it's been a conversation for five years. Why not? Yeah. You know, we don't get to dictate where the content goes. We just create it and sure. make sure it's as good as it can be. And then they decide where to put it out in the world. But you're seeing a lot of even like secondary content being made now. So I know there's um, the new Downton Abbey movie just came out mm -hmm. and they created an entire like down, cook like the Downton Abbey cooks or, you know, there's like a cooking show with like, for like Downton Abbey fans. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's just like side content to sort of keep you in the world. Yeah. So it is, it's smart that they're finally, I think they got it. I think yeah. they get it now. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep them once you have them. 
how do you guys get work? How do you start? How does this relationship with the Batman movie start? How does that come in the door? I'm fortunate to be part of a larger company here. So my company is Spacewalk Sound, but I'm underneath a, a larger entity called Sunny Boy Entertainment. Okay. And two of my best friends, Craig and Harold, they started that company and they've been grinding for years starting off on really small films. I mean, they were doing, like they did the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like the, the Ab, was there like an ABBA movie or like a, the set, like maybe ABBA 2 or something where it was like- Boy, I don't know. Yeah, there were like ABBA songs or something. It was a, a musical, it, yeah. Meryl Streep. I mean, there was something like that, but- Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, the the Mamma Mia. Uh, Mamma Mia, exactly. Yeah. But was there Mamma Mia 2? Maybe. <laughs> I feel like there was a movie that had, the reason I remember it is there was some show that we were watching and they played like the full three minute trailer, like every time. This was a way, this was a while back, but I remember I had a great disdain for that movie solely for the back, way that back they were marketing when, it. Yeah. Back when there weren't enough people paying, oh, run the ad again. Yeah. Yeah. Just this, this'll be great. No way anybody gets annoyed by watching yeah. the same Mamma Mia trailer seven times in a row. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no way we're losing people forever with this. You are, you are. Okay, so with Sunny Boy, you're like a contractor under them, then, or is we're, that... we're basically sister companies. Okay, yeah, I'm just sort of the sound entity that works in conjunction with them. Gotcha. So when you're putting this stuff together, you're not doing any of the video portion, right? That's luckily no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I stay clear. What's the order of operations there look like? The video, I mean, are you working on the sound that before the video editors see it? And they Yeah. Can... So what happens is we'll, we'll get the footage from on set. If it's a small production, they'll, they'll just bring the whole thing in. Okay. You know, when, when they're done with the shoot, they'll bring it in. But the productions are getting larger. We're actually starting to get into more like serialized content and longer form shows. And we're doing full seasons now of, of certain shows. So now it's a constant, you know, hard drives are getting shipped. Files are getting uploaded. The video is getting ingested upstairs for our editorial team. And they're, they're getting to work right away. We're taking the audio and we've kind of developed a first like cleanup pass here because things, they're just coming in from at this point, all over the world. We have okay. multiple shooters, multiple sound guys. We do our best to keep things consistent on set, but you know, things fall through the cracks. It's hard, like I said, sure. things move really quick. So we've got a process now where the, the audio comes in and we'll do our first like level and cleanup pass and just get things in a really good spot, consistent wise. That way, like between when you're cutting between like an interview with the director and one with the, the producer and then the actor, actress, plus B-roll camera footage that everything's just clean and consistent. Sure. Enough um, to be dangerous, right? Just enough. Yeah. yeah. But it also helps, you know, it helps when we send out like rough cuts. People these days are list, you know, it used to be, well, you would send a rough cut and with some degree of expectation that they'd be watching on a decent system. It's most likely a phone now, you know, sure. you might be begging for AirPods yeah. at this point. So, so it's important that even as early as a V1, that when we send things out to clients that they, you know, it sounds halfway decent. Sure. Because yeah. they'll be calling it out. So once things work through you know, versions back and forth with clients and they say, hey, this is this is good to go. The cut will come down to us in its final version. So we'll get a QuickTime file. Okay. We'll get an AAF file, which contains all of the audio data that the editors have been using, right? So that'll have multi-tracks in it. Okay. You'll have whatever, let's say eight to 58 tracks, depending on how deep and how busy it is. Each track will have an interview on it, actor, music underneath, and then a couple of rough sound effects and it's our job to take in all of that data, all that information and make it sound sweet. And, you know, whatever we have to do, whatever little micro moves we have to do across sure. the board to like make sure that it's, you know, it sounds its best. Yeah, yeah. 
So how long were you a sound guy with the boom mic before you were able to get out of that and to pivot into something else in sound? Well, I was already doing post-production sound, okay. right? I had, I had moved to California and I know nobody. There was no like inroads into the entertainment industry. Sure. But through just, mostly it was Craigslist back then. Right. Okay. So I'm just like setting up on Craigslist and like, you know, posting up every morning and being like, are there any new jobs out there? Like, so what? you have like a basic sound equipment set up for yeah. onset sound? Yeah. Like I got a Apple credit card or whatever at the time. And I, you know, I put the the laptop and the little Pro Tools box set up on it. And I had a, a little simple system right in my bedroom. I had a uh, Murphy bed. I would kick the like the bed up into the wall and like clear out my space and have like a nice space to work in. And okay. Yeah, it was real ragtag back then. Okay. But just taking any gigs, anything to learn, anything, because I just realized quickly that like, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. Sure. You're just going to have to do it yourself. Probably comes from my parents, just, you know, big entrepreneurs that always worked for themselves and figured it out and did what they had to do, so. Yeah, nobody's coming to your rescue. Nobody, nobody's yeah. coming. Yeah, no one. <laughs> exactly, you're the guy. The, the technician's guy. <laughs> already here. He's yeah. been you the whole time. That's crazy. So you maxed out your credit card to get the equipment? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's going for it. That's had to. True belief in yourself. Yeah, I knew I could figure it out. I mean, I'm sure there's better ways to find gigs now, but back then it was Craigslist. There were a lot of, let's call them sketchy projects. You know, I mean, like I answered an ad, and it was like, we have this feature length film, of course, they don't tell you the title of the film, so you can't look up and sure. see like what's going on. But they call it like a creature horror. And this is like real D-level stuff yeah. back then. So I go and meet with the producer and director at some seedy little place in Santa Monica. I mean, it was off the freeway. It it, it didn't feel totally safe, but you gotcha. know, young and keep my wits about me. Yeah. <laughs> and I hop in with these guys. You know, it's the button down shirt, right? With the chest hair hanging oh, out yeah. and the gold chain. Sure. Right. That's the producer, of course. And the yep. director is a little more put together, I guess, more of a vision guy, but you know, the producer is as seedy as they come. <laughs> <laughs> Slick back hair. Slick back hair, exactly. Yeah, yep. big receding hairline, the mm -hmm. whole thing. And so he goes, yeah, we need a, we need a, the sound's everything on this picture. You know, the sound's all, which is what they always say. And then, you know, it's like, well, if it's everything, what's the budget? It's, yeah, we got $500. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always that case. <laughs> yeah. But look, I'm young and I, you know, I'm sure they were looking to save a buck. So I was the guy to do the job. And that first job, they, it said, well, we need a 5-1 mix, a surround sound mix. I only had stereo at that point. So he was like, you can do 5-1, right? Yeah, of course. Of course I can do 5-1. Yeah, I've got, I've got you covered there. No problem. Yeah, I've done that plenty in the past. Just lying through my teeth, mm -hmm. right? Like just, okay, we'll figure this out. We, you know, yeah. I just got to like say yes and I'll get it done. So I get the film, I go home and it's not as easy as I think, of course. So it's like late nights, forums, looking up, how do I do this? Borrowing speakers from like hooking it up in my bedroom and trying to put it all together. Then I realize the version of Pro Tools I bought they don't even let you do 5.1 in, right? They've crippled the software so much that oh, they won't no. let you mix 5.1. So how am I going to get around this? This is going to be really tough. So they they had an upsell. They wanted you, of course, to like sell the, buy the next version. So to get the unlock, the 5.1 mixing on Pro Tools was an additional $2,000. Whoa. I didn't have anything close to that. But what they did have was a 14-day free trial of that <laughs> software. <laughs> so on a Sunday night, I installed that software. And for 14 days, I was able, I had all the unlocked, all the 5-1 sure. mixing fee. And I'm, you know, I'm experimenting, putting sounds in the back. And this is a creature feature. So it's this like real D-level movie. I think it's called Creepies. 
Creepies? Yeah, it was called Creepies. It was about gigantic radioactive spiders that overtake Hollywood. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's your classic monster yeah, yeah. story. Yeah. Think Godzilla, but not Godzilla. It's a team of radioactive spiders. Sure, sure. So, okay, we're putting little spider sounds in the back and we're, we, you know, we're messing around with all this new fancy stuff. And then 14 days comes up and the software shuts down. So I have to wipe my entire computer. <laughs> this, is, this was my like workaround. So Sunday nights, every other Sunday night for about a year, oh I would my wipe God. my computer and start fresh on Monday morning. For a year? Yeah, for a year. But that's how I got around it. Those are the only, you know, sure. what am I going to do here? Right? Yeah. And then eventually I worked enough gigs and saved up enough to buy that little piece of software. Save me those three hours every Sunday night. Wow. <laughs> That's true determination. I love that story. It's getting after You got to get through it. Yeah. 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 There's a way. Yeah. You'll yeah, find a way. For sure. I mean, that seems like a very extreme way, especially in a world <laughs> where your files are so precious to just kind of... Yeah. Well, you have, you have the important files on an external hard drive, right? And then you learn to not get too attached to anything on your computer, right? It's, so it's like sign into mail, get your mail set up, couple links on, on the web, and that's it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to get too attached because this thing's going away in two weeks. It's like you're like a, a criminal who's just like laying no, it, it's out very, low. Yeah, it is, for, it is certainly criminal behavior. Well, I mean, aside, <laughs> from, yeah, aside from that, but it's like they're like, nobody can know. We just got to only, only take what you need. We're only going to be here for a minute, gone in the night. Yeah. So does this, does Creepies, are you happy? Oh, with it set the world on fire. The product? Yeah, you, you never <laughs> saw Creepies? I... Oh, there was another, I was going to go see the film about spiders, but I went and saw the one about cockroaches instead. Right. That was a mistake on right. my part. Does that, uh, I bet the sound is fantastic though, right? Oh, if I went back, I, I'm sure I'd tear it apart. I didn't know what I was doing back then. But yeah. you knew enough, right? The client was happy? Sure. Client was happy. Yeah. But I mean, it took a while to sort of like work from that like low rung mm -hmm. of entertainment and just like grind and find my way. I mean, that wasn't all the gigs, right? It Within six, seven months of moving here, I linked up with a company called 789. Okay. They were looking for an independent sound mixer. So I'd pack up my laptop and all the little, my little device and just go to their place and set up in a random corner on headphones and, and start mixing. And that relationship, I finished a mix for them last week. Oh, wow. So you're talking like I've been in with them for 17 years at this point. Wow. Right. And I'm not, you know, of course it's grown from, I'm no longer lugging my equipment to their spare office space. They're- okay sending files to me in my nice, you know, soundproof studio in Pasadena. So sure. yeah, things have certainly like taken a nice trajectory there. So, you know, you find those like little steps, those little moments and just important to, when you find good clients, treat them right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's sort of that like business to business aspect that I've had to get get used to, right? The, the sound work is one thing. And of course I can go on and on about that, but like the business relationships and keeping those clients happy and being on time and showing up and being, you know, yeah. professional. Everybody has mentioned beyond time. I think that's why I got the gig, honestly. This, I, they, I think they went through three or four different sound guys who just showed up late and it's it's everything. Yeah, it's like the most basic decency thing that you could do is yeah. show up on time. I read a, a somebody put out a list of rules or whatever and I was reading it just this morning and it said, you're never on time. You're either early or late. And that's true. Yeah, that, that is, is very it. true. Yeah. The on-time window is literally seconds. It's set, yeah, so don't mess with it. Yeah, yeah. don't try. Don't even try. You're going to fail. What are some other business, what would you call it, networking? Or what kind of business skills, when you said that you have the sound mixing and you know that you have that part of it, but you needed to develop the business acumen, what are some things in there that, that really worked for you? I mean, being professional is a big one. And of course, on time is a big one. But other than that, it was 
you know, every director or creator has their own vision, mm-hmm. right? And so you might labor over something that you love, but at the end of the day, you're servicing their vision. Sure. So you've got to navigate all of those relationships. And for sure, I think that the relationships that I've kept over the last 15 plus years and the ones that I've grown with, we see eye to eye. You know, I, I kind of anticipate, even just looking at a cut, I can kind of anticipate what their intent was and where they want to take things sound-wise, which is not always the easiest thing to do. People have a really hard time describing what they want something to sound like. Sure. This should be soft or aggressive or milky or cloudy. I mean, people have all kinds of verbiage that they use to describe sound that isn't a sound thing. It's just sort of what they imagine a sound thing is. Why do you think that is, that sound is so hard to describe? (sighs) Because I feel that too. Yeah sound terrifies me like the editing the audio and all that stuff yeah because i feel like sometimes there's this fear of like oh i'm gonna hit this button and then everything's gonna sound like it's underwater and i can never get it back (laughs) which is maybe an irrational fear it is you can always get it back yeah Yeah. maybe there's maybe i need some (laughs) professional help on another level there but it does seem to me that sound and specifically trying to describe something is this like thing that humans just don't really have a grasp on yeah there's it's a it's a dark art for sure i mean you know it's trusting your ears Mm-hmm. right? And trusting that what you hear is correct. There's so many things that can get in the way of that with the room you're in or or the way that the speakers are interacting with the sound. So you've got to like trust your instinct, trust your ears. And the tools can seem, at least the old hardware for not the ones in the computer, but the old ones, intimidating. You know, they look like Very army equipment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Big knobs. And what is that one going to do? And of course, we're all scared to press the big red button, yep. you know? So yeah, there's it's a weird fear. Yeah. Yeah. It really is, because like you said, you can get it back. Okay, so you put everything on your credit card and really went for it. (laughs) That's such a baller move. Whether that's like youth and optimism or youth and ignorance, either way. I I can tell you right now, it's not, because I'm about to do it again. Really? Yeah, I think it's, I referenced before, both my parents being kind of like go-getter entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was a mechanic and had his own shop. He had two or three with various business partners, but always had his head down and just worked hard, Mm -hmm. just worked hard and took risks on his own. And I think I have a little bit of that. Sure. Um, So we're about to expand the space here. We've got 1,500 square feet that we just signed on across the hallway there. And we're putting up a new voiceover studio and four new edit bays. and, And it's a risk. Yeah. yeah, but sure, sure thing it is. But I think that's that's part of the job, at least at this level. Like I said, that's kind of why I, I say like I operate on the fringes of entertainment. There are union guys, there are set guys that just, that's the tract. Mm-hmm. Um, and I respect it because it's difficult. I yeah. couldn't do it. Whether it's like a bit of ADD, I just need a little more variety. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm mixing it up and whether it's a new venture like that or you know, getting into VR audio, which was something I experimented with a a few years ago. It's just something new. What's next? Where is VR audio now? It's not in a great place. Okay. Yeah. When there was a lot of excitement when it started, it's now about seven years ago when when kind of VR entertainment came out. The gaming side is doing great. And that is where a lot of the excitement is. The entertainment hasn't been quite figured out. We did some really interesting tests early on and worked on some really fun projects. So one of the first big ones that I got to work on was for It, when they remade Stephen King's It a couple years ago. Okay. So we did a VR experience where you follow Pennywise down under the tunnels of dairy, right? And he's popping up and spooking you, you know, all over the place. And of course, in VR, of course, you can go 360, but you can only, your field of vision is 
much less, you know, at any given time, 140 or so. Sure. So the fact that you can take the sound field and it's all around you, it is 360 sound, means that sound really drives a VR experience. Sure. So if someone is looking, let's say that direction, let's say due north, mm -hmm. and you want them, you want to spook them due south, you put a little a little bug in their ear, right? You, you make them turn around and yeah. then boom, you flip your head around and he's right in your face. Um, it's so scary. Yeah, it was very scary. So that that was a real fun one. We got to uh, debut that at Comic-Con. Warner Brothers decked out a bus, like a real creepy bus, and they put nine rotating chairs in the bus. And uh, so- Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there was there was a line out out the uh, out of the bus for you know all day. People were waiting to sign up for it. I think we got like 3,000 through in a day or something, which was a lot for a VR wow. experience, yeah. What's the process like for you with 360 sound versus a typical stereo mix or something like, is there a, a good, like, oh, it takes at least 50% more time or? Yeah, that's been the biggest hurdle. The time commitment, you know, for the studios, they look at it, they say, hey, we'd love to do a VR experience, but it costs three times as much just mm. because of it's new tech, plus all of the extra time from sure. the visual, from the audio standpoint. And then the eyeballs aren't there yet, right? There just aren't enough headsets in enough people's hands. So it's like, if, well, if we can only get, let's say 100,000 views on, on a VR headset, but we can throw up a, a regular video on YouTube and get 4 million, that's kind of where they're making their decision there. Yeah, that makes it easy. But the VR mixing itself was a, a huge step up. Stereo to 5.1 made sense. It was an easy leap to make. Yeah. Um, it's so just, stereo is two channel, 5.1 is. Exactly. Stereo is yeah. two channel mixing, um, which most people are listening on. It's Most people have just a two channel mm -hmm. device that they're listening. Surround mixing was kind of an easy extension of that. It's just a few more speakers in the room, right? You just sort of pan things a little wider, right? So if you're panning something, you take it from the center and you can pan it left or you can pan it right. Mm -hmm. Now I can just pan it backwards, forwards. You know, I've got a few more degrees here. 360 really opened that up because now you have height and the tools are different and the formats are all different. And of course you're mixing for a very specific platform. Sure. So there were challenges there. We had to develop our own. We sort of hodgepodge together some different software options here that Facebook made their own for a while. So we were using that, but it didn't quite get the job done 100%. So we were using all different tools and tricks to get it done. But at the end of it, the nice thing about VR and VR sound is it's a controlled environment. So everyone's listening on a pair of headphones. At the end of the uh, pipeline is a set of headphones. Sure. And that's a quality control that I really don't have the luxury of. For every other project I work on, it's especially difficult now. Where's it going to be? Where, where are we going to show it? What platform is it going to? Well, it's we want to show it on the web and then we want to put it on the DVD and then we put, and how are they going to listen? And what's the playback device and how many speakers? It's always a crapshoot. We sure. never really know. But with VR, you know, it's going to headphones. That's interesting. I never thought about that before. But yeah, even if people are watching it in their TV and homes, there's a thousand different variations of yeah. what kind of equipment they could be using. Yeah. Yeah. So with this new addition or expansion of this office space here, are you specifically trying to target a new segment of work or are you doing more of what you have? There's just a volume you can't keep up with right now. It's a bit of volume, but I'm also am looking ahead mm -hmm. and kind of seeing what's next. So so the voiceover space, of course, it's not just going to be a voiceover space. You'll be able to do podcast recording there as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just setting up one microphone in the room. Sure. We're looking at a custom table, like a conference kind of table set up. And so more of like a collaborative audio space. Okay. Not quite calling it podcasting because I feel like it could be more than that, but it certainly you, you kind of look at it as collaborative audio. Sure. Yeah. So this is a place where people would come and rent out and do their podcast there? Yep. Okay. They could. 
Yep. Or roundtable discussions, or we'll have visual playback in the space as well. So the work that I do is it's so varied, right? I'm an independent audio post-production house. Mm -hmm. I worked on conservatively 400 different spots last year. Really? And maybe let's let's break that down to maybe like 120 different campaigns. Wow. So the volume is heavy. You know, it's not like I, of course, like we have our crews that go out and work on the films, but there's so much that just comes through the door. The volume is so heavy that spots are just in and out. And I, I like that. For a second, I thought, oh, I'll work on feature films, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of like the end goal. And I think I would just get bored. I mean, I've done, I've done a couple and I just- working, Why do you say that? Well, just working on a project for like that extended length of time. Mm. There's something immediate and quick about this. I've been lucky enough to do some advertising too. I've written jingles for advertising and, and I like that. I like that it's, it's in and out. The project comes across your plate, get it done, get it right off, and then boom, on to the next. How long does it take you to write an advertising jingle? Not long. That's sort of the joke. I mean, if you're on your game, you can probably kick something out in a few hours that you like, maybe even quicker if you get the inspiration right away. The trick is the moving target of the director and the rest of the team downline that everybody's got. You know, it's advertising. So it'll be nitpicked to death. You know this from voiceover. They make you say the same line 60 times. And they probably went back and picked version two. Yep. Right it's, Everybody's got to feel like they're doing their job. Yeah. Hey, you know, it'd be great. Could you just say the word the for us 50 times? I could. We just want to get yeah. you to say <laughs> Yeah, man, no problem. <laughs> I know. So so it, it it's a bit of the same with music. Sure. Yeah, probably not to the same degree. So it's just sort of navigating those relationships and understanding the director's notes. Again, they're going to be a little wonky. So you're just sort of interpreting what that is. But I've been lucky that you, you don't land every gig. But the gigs that I do land, I usually stick the landing right away. Wait, so when you're trying to get advertising work, are you like pitching them and and hoping to get the job or they hire you and then you're like, oh, I have these, these are four or five different ideas. They'll almost always come in because I have the audio post background, Mm -hmm. right? They're usually looking for that end of things. I've been lucky on a few gigs where I'm doing the sound mix, I'm sound designing, I'm cleaning up the audio, I'm I'm getting the mix ready for broadcast. And either the composer's not working out or they haven't found the library music they want and I'm able to like sort of wiggle myself in there. Gotcha. One of the first ones, so I, I when I graduated from D-movies up a step in Hollywood, I went to infomercials. Okay. One rung up. I mean, barely a step up, yeah. but still there. Sure. But the, the work was consistent and steady. I, I got linked up with a producer of infomercials. Actually, was my roommate for a minute too. So Always helps. It does help. Yeah, certainly helps. I was working on a infomercial called Dr. Frank's Joint and Muscle Pain Relief. Okay. This was an oral spray that you put in your mouth and apparently cured all of your pain. I never tried it. I didn't have joint and muscle pain back then. Luckily, I was in my early 20s, so I didn't have to worry about sure, it. Sure, sure. I need it now. I should go find a bottle. Well, right hey, now. $29.95 a month. <laughs> yeah, You're right? set. Yeah. Um, so the way infomercials work is they'll make the whole commercial and they'll air the commercial in a test market. Mm-hmm. And they'll know within like a weekend whether or not it's going to go or not. Well, this one went and I was fortunate enough to like shoehorn my way in they needed music and i said hey i can whip up something quick and that was a that was 30 minutes i mean that was just a little thing on the keyboard but he was like yes this is perfect because you know there's the there's the shot where the the, oh the pain you're grabbing the you're grabbing the back you're grabbing the the elbow right and and so it's you know the music is heavy and it's 
and it's in a minor key and it's you know it's overbearing yeah. and then 30 seconds in yeah it's the relief right so yep. he needed that pivot and once i nailed that pivot he was like thank you this is exactly what i wanted sure so the commercial airs and it takes off it does really well and i know there's royalties to be had but I had no one to look for. I didn't know where to go. So now I'm searching, okay, how to collect royalties. There's ASCAP, there's BMI. They're the two major corporations in the States that collect royalties okay. for any commercials or advertising that air on TV. So I'd sign up a form, send away. You actually have to create a fictitious business for your publishing company. You have to invent a publishing company. There's, there's all these like little- What's the name of your fictitious publishing company? Bob's Big Songs. Bob's Big Songs. Hey now. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So I, I do all the paperwork, get all that set up, and then I have to go and get the cue sheets from the producer. Now, the cue sheets say exactly when and where that spots aired. And then when I got them, it's a like a 40, 50-page PDF, and it's History Channel, 3 a.m., 30-second ad, on and on and on, thousands of times. So I send in all the paperwork, and the royalty checks start coming in. And that's when I'm like, oh, this is a nice little side area I want to explore. So I branched off from there and started doing a lot of jingle work. And okay, yeah, it was it was a fun little little side hustle while it lasted. You don't do jingle work anymore? I don't, but the royalties still come in. Nice. So it's fine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I imagine it's really hard, jingle work. Like it, it, It's it, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's a team of people looking over every aspect of the of the spot and of course they'll watch it over and over and over again so the work is delicate and you have to sort of balance expectations and maybe this isn't true but i would think there's like a double-edged sword effect of like oh i can't get that song out of my head and oh i cannot get that song out of my head there is a bit i don't know if you're describing this but there's a thing called demoitis, which happens a lot. I mean, certainly in advertising, it also happens in film and TV too, where the editor will take the temp track, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, we think we want it to kind of sound like this and he'll have a temp track. And of course, they'll be listening to that temp track for weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's hard not to fall in love with them. I mean, you listen to anything that long, even if it's just meh at the beginning, you'll probably get attached to it by the end. Yeah. So it's always tough to sort of live up to the expectation of the temp track and to hit all the same marks. Especially when the temp track is, uh, just to pull out, like Uptown Funk or, you know what I mean? Something yeah, yeah. like iconic. And they're like, well, just give us Uptown Funk. Yeah. That's what we want. And it is always Uptown Funk. <laughs> it is always Uptown, uptown Funk. Uptown Funk yeah. <laughs> is the bane of so well, many people's existence. So I'm rewinding now a few years, but three or four years before that, it was Happy. Yep. It was Pharrell Happy. Just that is, hit us with this. Yep. Just hit us with genius. That's yep. what they want. Have you had any other, like you said, the side hustle was the word that you used for the jingle. Have you had any other entertainment kind of side hustles that popped up around your experience here? I feel like they're all side hustles. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like my career is just like a string of side hustles. I mean, there's certainly like the core to my work, which is the sound design, the dialogue editing, and now more like sound supervision now that I'm in more of a supervisor role and I have my own studio. Um, Can you talk about that role of what the role changes when you go into the supervision side of things? Yeah. So starting out in my field, it was very solitary. I did like that aspect of it. There was something, like I'd said before, I don't really like the waiting around on set. Mm -hmm. um, I like to be like, hey, here's the job, go do it. So I'd lock myself away and whatever little you know studio hole I was renting at the time and kick out the work. Most people would find it boring and mundane, but there's a zone when I'm looking at Pro Tools and I'm just chipping away. I see all the problems in front of me and I know what it's going to take to fix them all. It's 10,000 tiny little cuts sure. just to get it there. 
but eventually you, you're either going to become a hermit living in that hobbit hole. So you have, yes. to, you have to sort of get out. So I would take on bigger projects, whether it's a full feature film or even just like a, a documentary and I need to find other people to work with. So I started connecting with dialogue editors, sound designers, and eventually building up a roster of a good team around me. So now it's gotten to the point and it's grown, especially with the help of my buddies here and the, and the business that they've built that we've got enough full-time work and we've got a whole team here to sort of chip away at anything that comes in. Okay. So when you said dialogue editors and sound designers, specifically people are working on dialogue and making those voices sound great. And that's separate from people doing the sound design of like setting the audio scape of the place? Yeah. So depending on the size of the production, I mean, of course, when I started all the little jobs I'm explaining to you, I'm the only one doing it all. Yeah. Right. And that's either budget or just if it's a really small project, certainly any, even in advertising, you know, anything 30 seconds, 60 seconds, it's just going to have one guy kind of sure. just doing it all. But as the projects get bigger, certainly up to like episodic television and feature film length, you'll have specific roles for each of those. So there's a few different buckets, but there's dialogue editors, and their job is just to work on the dialogue, take in the dialogue sources from wherever they may come and make them as smooth as possible. Off to the side of that are ADR recordists and ADR editors. ADR is automatic dialogue replacement. So that's any dialogue on set that was recorded improperly, or maybe there was some noise that couldn't be dealt with, airplane flying over. Yeah. So you'll have to replace that later on. Um, like a you, door opening, that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the microphone will get bumped and so mm -hmm. that line's no longer usable. So there will be some replacement dialogue there. On the music side, you have music editors, of course, working real close with the composers. Mm -hmm. And then on the sound design side, that's when things get a little deep and you can really break things out. So there's there's your main sound designers who are working on, let's say, like explosions or car chases or those kind of things. There's Foley artists who are recording all the little human sounds that you hear in a film. Yeah. So whether it's footsteps or pats on the back or anything like that. Yeah, um, I want to get into that. I don't it, know how. It is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's specialized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'd be very cool to talk with, you know, somebody who does that profession all the time. At yeah. this point, I send all of that out of house. It's very specialized. You need to build a specific room just for Foley. You have what's called Foley pits, which are eight to 16 different uh, little pits in front of you that you can walk in with different surfaces. So you have gravel and mm -hmm. tile and wood plank surfaces. And of course, they've got a whole stash of props up on the wall that they can grab and do horse hooves and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Super creative position. And again, like hidden from most, you know, for most people, you never think about Foley. Yeah. When it's great, you never notice it. And right? you shouldn't, yeah. but it's unbelievably important. Yeah. Yeah. In storytelling. Yeah, it's, yeah huge. it's a huge part of it. And then I guess you'd also have backgrounds for sound effects. So all your ambiences. And now with the internet, there's a whole underground circuit of audio guys all around the globe that trade. Hey, I have like this amazing wind through the trees rustling from from the Siberian okay. uh, forests, yeah, yeah. right? You know, and oh, I've got the jungle sound. You know, I'm a sound recordist in Brazil. I'll trade you that for, you know, these jungles. I went out to the Amazon the other day and sure. recorded these things. So. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I've talked with a few of those guys and used some of their sounds. And it's there's this underground network of guys who are always just kind of trading stuff around. That's cool that it, it seems like it's a collaborative effort to try to help everybody get a better product. Yeah, and it, it's super collaborative. And it's also, look, would the average person know? Maybe not. But it's important to us. It sure. is sort of a moment. You know, I'm about to start work on a film that takes place in Saudi Arabia. I don't know the first thing about what Saudi Arabia sounds like. So there'll be a decent amount of research to make sure I get it right. Where do you start with that? 
I mean, there's a few Facebook groups, just getting the chat started, seeing, reaching out, seeing if anybody's there. There might already be some pre-existing libraries, but, you know, there might also be very specific things about whether you're in the desert or you're, you know, in the city. I sat down with the director last week, just have like an initial chat. And he's like, well, how do we give this scene a little more life here? And I was like, well, are there birds in Saudi Arabia? You know, jokingly, but you know, I wanted to make sure that like, would you typically hear birds in this setting outside of a palace like this? Sure. Which you would, of course, but now what kind? I don't want to get it wrong. I don't yeah. want to put, you know, crows in there if there's no crows that exist. I don't want to get... You know, no doves if, if this isn't a place where doves fly around, right? Are pigeons universal? Do they sound the same everywhere? I mean, it's, you know, these are like the details you get down to. When there's weapons, you know, I want to get the guns right. Sure. Because a gun enthusiast will know if I'm working on a, a feature and I've done a lot of shoot em, shoot em up things, especially difficult when it's a period piece right? Civil War area or, oh, sure. or something like that. I'm not a gun guy, but I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to put the wrong gun sound tied to sure. that certain weapon. So I just worked on like a World War II drama and there was a big discussion about would this have existed then, right? This is a 1942 rifle. Would that have been too new is, or is the one he carrying maybe from a few generations before? Sure. Um, just to make sure you really get down in the weeds as far as getting so that So granular. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. Super granular, but important. So with this rifle example, did you have a couple of different rifles that you were trying to choose from and you maybe liked one sound better, but it wasn't maybe a period fit or? Yeah. And, there, and then there's always the creative balance, right? Because the 1931 rifle straight out of Germany may not have the sound you really want it to have out of the piece. And of course, this is a little like film mixing secret, but the hero's gun always needs to sound the loudest right? The, oh, sure. the good guy's gun has yeah, to cut yeah, through, yeah. right? The bad guy's gun has to be just a little lower and a little weaker because when Captain Good Guy shows up, yeah, he's yeah. got to, even if he's holding a pistol, it's got to be the most badass pistol. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So we have our core sound here. This is going to be, this is the sound that's expected, but you're always amping it up. So one gunshot, I might layer eight different sounds. There could easily be that many. Really? Yeah. There's the initial crack then there's the body, there might be a longer tail, and then there just might be, well, I need a little more low energy in there, so let me add in this this other piece okay. of information. So so it's really about, okay, you wanna be true to the content, of course, but then you we're also, we're making a film, mm -hmm. and we've gotta sell the idea that this is the hero, you know, he's the good guy, he's the bad guy, and sound can give you those cues. Sure. Even the footsteps, right? The, the bad guy footsteps are usually menacing, right? So you yeah, usually yeah. give those a little more weight. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny how all those like little details cue you into what's going on, what to expect. Sure. Well, especially in something like an action scene where there is a lot of visual action going on, maybe it's easier or clearer for us to follow the sound. It is. You can take in way more sound. You, visuals, one, you can just look at one thing. But sound-wise, you, you can take in, I mean, I'll have hundreds of tracks sure. that you're hearing all at the same time. Do you have an example of like, you wouldn't think that this sound required this much work to do, but it actually took several iterations. I, I know exactly. So the hardest, the hardest for me is car chases because they're dynamic. They're always evolving. A gun is a gun. You can work on the craft of it, but still it's just bing, bing, bing. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a shot. But car chases are very difficult. Any vehicle kind of movement just to get that right, you know, to sell what's happening on screen and then to get all that going. So there's the tire screeching, there's the sound of the tire hitting whatever surface they're on. 
there's the engine growl. Are you inside the vehicle? Are you out? And usually in an action scene, this is all changing every second, right? Interior, exterior, right. around Where's the corner, the yeah. shifting, shifting down, shifting up. It's really intense. And that is why you tend to see, and deservedly so, like films like the Bond films are always nominated for sound editing. And you know, sure. that's, the, that's why yeah, yeah. it's so much work. Yeah. And then, of course, those teams are very fortunate because they get to go out and they get to record the actual cars used. Again, being specific and true to what's going on. So they'll be able to mic up an entire car with a couple dozen microphones inside and outside and record it swerving on the track. And Yeah, that was my question is how much of that is stuff that's captured specific to that vehicle or how much is it you pulling from this library and your Facebook friends trying to finish out the sound? Budgets, especially on the stuff I work, usually dictate that I'm either in a sound library or trying to go out there, spread the message out. Hey, I'm looking for, does anybody have any recordings of this vehicle or that wind or this gun or, you know, whatever I'm looking for. I haven't worked on a film yet that's had enough of a budget to go and record something that custom. Gotcha. Sometimes I'm lucky enough to get on set and capture a couple of specific sounds that I think I might need, but that would be on set, hey, I've got an extra two minutes for you. Why don't you record? You wanted to get some of this floor sound or you liked that one sound source that was coming out of the speaker, you know, grab that if you want it or the neon sign or whatever. Sure. Um, but certainly nothing that involves putting multiple mics on a car. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with something like, let's say that you have this gunshot, everything about it is right. It's the right model and all of that, but it's maybe it was recorded in a space that doesn't fit Let's say it was recorded in a small room and you're looking for gunfire and outdoors for the scene. Can you manipulate that to have it be what we want or what kind of flexibility do you have with that? You, you can now. I mean, there's there's a lot of options now. Before I would have said trash it and start again. And that is a problem with, you know, sound effects libraries, let's say maybe recorded before 1998 or so, you know, before like the digital revolution mm -hmm. is everything was recorded to tape. So just varying degrees of quality and, you know, sure. things were a little tinny back then, you know, the, we didn't get the full range. So I've certainly like excised a large portion of my sound effects library over the last 10 years and brought in a bunch of new stuff that just, yeah, the new stuff is going to be recorded at a much higher quality, much more detail and definition. Film sound has gone from being a little dull to right in your face. So a lot of sounds now are, are designed. A lot of directors are mixing their films for the sound to be very immediate. Mm -hmm. um, I just watched The Last Duel, Ridley Scott. Did you see this? I didn't see it. Fantastic. Amazing sound. You can listen in, in the first five minutes, know that he put a ton of detail into his sound because every sword blade, every horse hoof, everything is direct and in your face. And that's that's a very specific mixing decision. And that would be something like in this, the film that you said that you're starting on when you had that initial conversation with the director, is that something that would come up then? Or is that something that you would typically, in your experience, is that something that you kind of find later of like, oh, if we really push the sounds, it'll sell this? Well, I'll say, when I got started, the films were very low budget and the directors didn't care that much, right? They just wanted something serviceable that would pass QC mm -hmm. that they could then sell to broadcasters or get on video on demand or something like that. Now, as I've worked with more established directors and there's a little bit more care into the final product and they actually, you know, this is their passion projects and they're not just churning them out just to, you know, cash the next check. It's nice to be able to be afforded, first of all, even have the conversation beforehand about sound direction. I'm lucky enough now I'm actually um, giving sound notes on a script for a film that hasn't even shot yet. Oh, wow. I mean, there's not many, but I've at least 
I, I've got a couple ideas and, and some ways that, you know, I've, as reading the script, I think that we could work sound into the final product. And that may require shooting it a certain way or making sure that we have coverage this way or that way. So for scenes that I deem pivotal to sound, I'm pointing those out and kind of starring those ahead of time. That's a luxury you don't typically have? No. In fact, I've just sort of gotten myself to a level where, hey, like, let's, yeah, we'd love to have your opinion early on in this, which is amazing. Post sound is typically dead last. Mm -hmm. I mean, us and color are sort of the very, you know, last parts. And I've heard plenty of times, you know, where the picture edit will come to me and we'll be working on the sound design and I look at the director, I said, hey, you know, it'd be great if we had an extra two seconds right here to just hold on this, to give us a moment to breathe. That way, when I come back in with the explosion or, or the gunshot or this, it'll be more impactful. The scene will hit a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. And typically on low budget, picture's locked. They're not going to go back to the editor. We're not going to make a change. We have no money for that. Sure. So to finally be able to afford the time to be able to have my ideas be shared and have them be implemented, is it's nice. It feels like you're more a part of the project. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's less like they're dropping it off at your door and it's yeah. more of like something you had your hands in in the sure. beginning. You know, when I started, that's how I worked. Drop it off, close my door, come back in a few weeks and yeah. it'll be done. As I get older and you start to realize, hey, this has to be more collaborative. Well, and it seems like a big thing for you, too, is to constantly be challenging yourself and evolving, right? I don't mean to put this on you, but it seems like even if you still were in that situation where you can close a door and you're working on all the biggest things that that you love, but you're staying in that one lane, I think it would it, have been. It's tough. It's been a struggle. There's certainly a trajectory in my life, and I think most people in film take this where they find the lane and stick it. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly something to that. There's certainly something to expertise and driving the same train every day because you're going to be great at that. Yeah. I just don't have the temperament. I just, I have to constantly be sort of shifting. And so it keeps me out of the talk on certain, pro you know, there's certain things I can't work on. I'm non-union, right? So I, there, there are projects that are out of my scope, but it allows me to keep every day fresh and to always be trying new things. Did you have a point when you were considering going union or what's the conversation around that look like for the union of sound editors? There was a point, there was actually an application filled out, Okay. <laughs> but then I just, I pulled back. I decided that the union means one thing for a sound guy and it's, it's probably, you're going to work at one of the big studios, maybe one of the independent sound houses, but you'll be in the room every day, nine to six, you'll have your lane and you'll stick it. And I just whether it's that little bug I caught from my parents or, you know, the fact that I just, I wanted to build my own thing. So, so you had filled out the application though? Yeah, I did. I didn't put all the marks, you know, you have to collect how many hours you put in, you know, a couple, I think you need 3000 hours over a couple of years. You have to wow. prove, okay. right? So I went and grabbed all the old invoices and, and reached out to the old employers or, you know, some of the people I had freelance with and, Hey, can you verify, you know, just sign, you verify this for me. And they did. I, I had it all together. And then just sort of had a heart to heart with myself and was like, I don't know if I want to like drive into the middle of Hollywood and sit in some room. Sure. Yeah. And then, you know, other opportunities were also presenting themselves at the time, right? Mm -hmm. My my friends here, their, their business was taking off and they said, hey, things are looking good. We're building some edit suites and some coloring suites. And what if we built an audio room too? And you just hung up your shingle here. So those two things sort of converged at the same time. And you were at the crossroads. I was at the crossroads. That's and look, awesome. now I get to work with my friends. Yeah. You know? Like that's also 
can't put a price tag on that. Yeah, and be, building out the new space, having that ability to try new I'm things. I'm super fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we were joking before you were pulling up my IMDB and I'd said, well, that's embarrassing. It's basically all the work it took for me to get to where I am. I sure. don't think there's a credit in there from the last five or 10 years. Maybe there is a one. I haven't looked at it in that long. Maybe there's one or two things. Well, the Creepies franchise didn't explode like we it, thought it would. It's They had visions. They said, this is the next Pirates. I know this is the next Pirates. Yeah. It didn't turn out that way. You never know what's the next Pirates until the next <laughs> Pirates comes out, right? Well, you certainly know it's not going to be Creepies. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I've learned so much about sound. I never thought about all the specifics with the sound being right. You think about the sound being there. But you maybe don't necessarily think about, oh, there's a gunshot went off, but it was that gunshot that goes to that gun. And this gunshot's different. And by the way, the hero's gunshot is louder. That really blew my mind. Yeah. These are the things that make it difficult to enjoy films. And so I love sharing this knowledge because these are things people don't understand or recognize, but they're the things now you'll notice. Yeah. You know, now you're going to like, oh yeah, okay. They did that thing. You know, has there been anything that you've watched that makes all of that kind of disappear for you? Are there any titles or any shows out there that you can just watch it from a pure enjoyment perspective or are you forever ruined and you're always kind of seeing how things are made? Well, certainly at the higher end of production, I can feel fully immersed. So I just watched Dune for the first time okay, and was utterly blown away. You know, it's a massive budget. Yeah. Hans Zimmer on the score, mm -hmm. right? It's hard not to be drawn in. Sure. Something like that. So yeah, Blade Runner was the same way. Same director, Denis Villeneuve. It's just like... So only the most elite team can I get I have expensive tastes. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew Bob, expensive tastes. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find you or do you not want to be found? No, find me. Sure. The website is Spacewalk Sound, spacewalksound.com. We have an Instagram. It's out there. Well, thanks so much for the time, Matthew Bob. Thanks for having me. Hey, real quick before we go, if you're listening to this on your phone on Spotify, you can give it a five-star rating in just two taps. Isn't that crazy? It seems like everything is at least three taps these days, but you can make my day in just two. So trust me, you don't want to miss out on that. I'm going to be taking a couple weeks off because I have COVID and one of the side effects of COVID that I never heard anybody talk about, but I experienced was that it completely derails one-man podcast productions. This will give you a chance to go back through the catalog and pick up any episodes you missed. And don't worry, I'm going to write a letter to the CDC so they can update their literature with this side effect. Thanks for listening. <laughs>